Hello, Cryptonauts, and welcome back to another episode of Cryptocurrency Chat. I am your host, Blockchain John, here with my co-host, Jake Jabrelli, here to give you the top 10 daily stats, as well as your crypto news of the day. Before we get started, let's see how Jake is doing. What's up, Jake? Hey, John. Um, just chilling here, watching the market fall into oblivion. Oh, wait. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's not pretty. It's never pretty, but I mean, it's this. It's just the negative emotion of the of when it goes up. So it's like when it goes up, you're like, yeah, it's going up. All oh, these guys have lots of something. If you're selling because you have paper hands and the market is falling, you should just get out of it entirely and just never just go away. We don't need you in our in our group here because you're you're destroying yourself and destroying everything else. So just just leave the market. Don't ever come back uh, because you're not ready for this. And I mean, if that sounds like I'm taunting you, it's because I am. Um, uh, if you're if you're gonna do that, just don't just don't come in here. It's, it's gonna happen. So it's like, if you can't deal with the negative emotion of the fall, then you're not worthy of the positive emotion when it goes up. So, anyways, uh, this content, actually, I've, I made a, a great video about this very recently, and um, we'll talk about it later, probably in a different podcast. This content is for entertainment purposes only. Any comments made by us, the host, or guests on this show are not financial or it's not considered financial advice. But it may not matter that I say that. We'll talk about that later. Uh, back to you, John. It's a, it's it's a stable coin. I mean, it technically can have a loss, but it doesn't it doesn't stay there because it's supposed supposed to level out back to one. So that's the reason it's. Most of the 24-hour volume, though, that's the thing that's probably key. Tether's 24-hour volume is like $50 billion. I mean, the, the volume alone outpaces the top, anything beyond the top five coins. I mean, USD coins, total volume, just, you know, right now, 24-hour volume is only $4 billion. Well, not even $4 billion. Um, so, yeah, it, it, everyone's transferring to Tether. 
because they want to hold their, you know, keep their money where it is. The other thing with fiat is, with fiat you can't move it. You can't move it fast. That's the problem with fiat. That's the reason everybody uses stable coins, because, and that's the reason they were invented. I mean, think about it. If you tried to move, make these kinds of purchases back and forth, Bitcoin to USD, they would, you wouldn't be able to do it. It'd take days. So. People are panicking. So it's sad. It's really sad. All the FOMO. I'm happy, dude. I literally just bought some more crypto right before that. You guys keep selling it, man. Take your hands, sell it. I will buy it. Yep. Right. Exactly. Sell it to John. He will take it from you. <laughs> Top right corner, you're feeling kind of dark. Make sure you collect your candy. You get some awesome rewards and some discounts on products and services. Well, <clears throat> we appreciate you listening in on these terrible, terrible times like our content not the market if you like our content we appreciate a like on youtube you can also subscribe to us and catch our the notification bell our updates every wednesday and sunday you can also check us out on discord we have a lot of things going on on a regular basis we talk about a whole bunch of different coins and all the different things we're interacting with we're also on patreon and you can donate to us via bitcoin ethereum binance bat or raven back to you john it's in the description below sorry remember that part <laughs> to CryptoPotato.com where we're going to give you the crypto news of the day. Alright, first one that I have here is uh, the Kazakhstan. Are, are you on that as well? Yep. Perfect. That. that was from uh, Dimas Darzunzero. Kazakhstan terminates 13 crypto mining farms. Kazakhstan's Ministry of Energy discovered and halted the operations of 13 illegal digital asset mining farms. Those were collectively using an electric 
electric and electricity capacity of over 200 megawatts. The Central Asian country was torn by protests at the beginning of 2022 when thousands of residents occupied the streets to fight against the surging electricity prices. Shortly after that unrest, Kazakhstan's government vowed to crack down on unauthorized cryptocurrency miners and made acquisitions that may could negatively impact the nation's energy network. Back then, Minister Baghdad Hussein said, Great miners are doing a lot of harm to our power grid. The energy costs of illegal mining are estimated to exceed one gigawatt. Shortly after, the energy, energy ministry came upon and terminated the activities of 13 illicit digital asset mining facilities. Those were located all over the country in regions like uh, Karaganda, uh, Turkestan, Pavlodar, Akmola, and Kostanai. The authorities further revealed they would continue to identify and disconnect mining farms from the electrical grid, which do not abide by these rules. On the other hand, President Tokayev said white miners who act in accordance with the regulations should not be considered. The government is not opposed to white miners, but people who want to operate in this sector must have a license. At the appropriate tariffs to declare their income and pay taxes and get involved in green projects. Kazakhstan is the second biggest Bitcoin mining location, accounting for 18.1% of the global assets. The United States is, only, is the only country ahead with 35.4%. At the beginning of 2022, the Kosovo government posted the cost of the currency miners in the confiscated 272 ant miners, Bitcoin mining machines, in the municipality of Leposabek. At the same time, during a separate operation near the capital, Pristina, the authorities seized additional 39 digital, digital asset mining devices, 35 of which were functioning at the time. If you ever need someone to come clean up your stuff, just, uh, you know, tell on yourself and they'll come pick out everything up. I don't know. I, I, get, I get that they're saying, I, with the first comment from, um, from Kazakhstan, they're saying, you know, hey, you need a license. You need to declare. You need, to, you know, appropriate tariffs. I get that. If you're not doing those things, then you're doing it illegally. Um, if you if you can get under the wire, in the sense that you're not doing so much that it's you know uh, throwing up alarm bells, then they wouldn't have been paying attention, right? It's like, hey, don't make a big you know don't make yourself so obvious, and you won't get shut down. I'm not saying that you should do things illegally, 
but if you don't have the money to do the permits, the fact of the matter is these guys were making money hand over fist. They obviously had the money to do it. They're just like, no, uh, we're going to do what we want to do. It's like, okay, well then, don't be surprised when they come and steal all your stuff. <laughs> but as I was saying before the show, um, I don't, if I hadn't read the article and the point of it, but if you're doing something illegal, then you have nothing to be afraid of. Unless you live in Russia, I guess. <laughs> Where? No, actually, that's not true. Generally, if you just do things normally like everyone else does, you're not going to be living in fear. So. Don't, don't, get, don't rock the boat too much, and people won't come knocking on your door. Anyways, continue on with Elliptic by Chayanika Dika. Elliptic partner with Near Protocol to improve on-chain security. Part of the partnership, Near users will be benefited from full visibility on the blockchain across Elliptic's wide range of product offerings. The focus will be to improve security and on-chain forensics while letting users explore Web3. The official announcement regarding the partnership revealed that the deal means both the Near blockchain and its native asset, Near, <laughs> will have access to Elliptic's analytics and financial crime tracking services. Elliptic offers various tools to identify illicit crypto activity, such as mapping real-world signals to pseudonymous entities. It also provides risk insights to legacy financial institutions, people who don't understand crypto. Commenting on the partnership, Near Foundation CEO Marinke Flament, might be a French, I don't know, um, Flament, <laughs> said the platform aims to onboard billions of users into Web3 with the latest move. The exec also uh, also added, quote, we cannot, can't do that unless we can create a safe and secure environment for people to explore this new world. Partnering with projects like Elliptic help us realize this goal faster, end quote. Initially, users will be able to benefit from the screening of crypto wallets and transactions on the near blockchain leveraging Elliptic's Lens and Navigator products. The, the protocol intends to incorporate virtual asset providers or VASPs verification as well as crime investigation capabilities through Elliptic's discovery and forensics in the future. Last month, Elliptic revealed that it was building a new data product, a marketing, a market intelligence unit dedicated to institutional crypto traders. The London-based blockchain analytics firm also said its data set encompasses more than 20 billion data points and includes 148 cryptocurrency assets, representing 98% of the trading volume worldwide. The product, slated to launch publicly later this year, is being developed in collaboration with some investment banking research teams, crypto trading desks, as well as some hedge funds. Liptic's ambitious roadmap includes transforming the company into a one-stop shop for institutional investors to seek blockchain analysis and data firms. This actually sounds interesting to me. Crypto Potato reported about Elliptic raising $60 million in Series C funding around in October 2021. And the round saw the participation of Japanese investment manager SoftBank Group and American multinational Wells Fargo. The company plans to deploy the new capital infusion on expanding its global team of experts, especially in the U.S. Near far. Yeah, sorry, it's 
Every single time I see Nier, I keep thinking of Rover doing his thing on Sesame Street. So. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. They absolutely are. They, got big, they have a big building here in Silicon Valley. Oh, yes, they do. A lot of money there. And they made that bad bet on that. What was the name of that company that was selling rental or uh, lease business space? I can't think of their name now. No, no. Lease rent. No, rental space for businesses. Oh, it's, um, yeah, anyways. They sent. They spent like sixty billion dollars on that company, ridiculous, and they lost most of it. I think they ended up selling. Yeah, exactly. They ended up losing like basically ninety percent of their investment because the thing went belly up. It was just, it was too much hype, too fast. So. All right. Well, let's just move on with the news. We'll get back to it. Hey, and regulators. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Indian regulatory... No. Yeah? Yeah. Re regulators investigate Coinbase, Kraken, blah, blah, blah. Indian mm -hmm. regulatory body issues guidelines for crypto and NFT ads. Written by... Oh, new person. Arun Srivastav. Wait, 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 wait. What are you reading? No, not what I said. What did you say? I said Canadian regulators investigate. Oh, uh, they said Indian. Close enough. Mm-hmm. Self-custodial wallets. This one's written by Andrew Thor Thorobales. The Ontario Securities Commission (OSE) recently flagged Brian Armstrong and Jesse Powell, CEOs of Coinbase and Kraken, respectively, for tweets surrounding Canada's Freedom Convoy protest. Each has been accused of causing advice on how to evade national, excuse me, national financial emergency restrictions through the use of self-custodial wallets. According to a report from The Logic, Kristen Rose, the OSC's manager of public affairs, said the commission is now aware of certain government purchases from Powell and Armstrong. In an email, she told the newsroom that the RCMP and relevant authorities had been informed about the post. In recent weeks, both OSC have made numerous tweets and retweets opposing Canada's response to nationwide protests against COVID-19 health restrictions. They've been especially critical of financial restrictions placed against those donating to the nation. One of these restrictions grants new powers to financial services providers to freeze these accounts without a court order. However, the OSC took particular issue with the exchange owners recommended that users self-custody the cryptocurrency in the context of government action. On February 15th, Armstrong called Canada's new measure concerning and provided a link to Coinbase's self-custodial wallet, deeming it important. I got a break there for a moment because uh, Coinbase and Mr. Ar um, Armstrong, that wallet needs some work. It's not really user-friendly. It needs a lot of work done. There's a lot of better wallets. Yeah, I agree. There. I personally use, I have, I have this wallet because I want to test it, right? and I have some dust in there, some dust coins in there, but it's not really that good. It's outdated, several years outdated, 
there's a lot more better stuff out there. One of the best wallets out there I recommend is the Club Wallet. Now, what's cool with that is up to you. There's a lot of things you can do with it. So, yes. Okay, continuing on. How was the day prior was far more delicious. Recommending that Convoy donors use non-custodial wallets. So, crowdfunding platforms now regulated under the Canadian uh, Terrorist Finance Act, he said. Do you see where this is going? Please do not fund causes directly from custodial wallets. I'm sure freeze orders are coming with all two non-custodial before sending. Powell himself has directly sent money to Bitcoin for profit, a protest fundraiser that used Bitcoin native money platforms Polycoin. After amassing nearly $1 million in tickets for the combo, the page has since been taken down and its organizers are facing legal charges. Bitcoin was fundamentally designed as a data proof system of electronic cash, which doesn't require third parties to mediate payment. This makes transactions using privately held Bitcoin very difficult for financial regulators to prevent. By contrast, coins held with extended or custodial sticks are just as easy to free as fiat money held in added bank. That's where we always iterate and reiterate, not your keys, not your coins. Yep. Two Satoshi's of the day. There you go. Continuing on. Despite his opposition to the restrictions, Powell said his exchange would reluctantly agree to freeze funds at the government's request. As such, he directly advised concerned tracking users to withdraw their money and only donate through P2P transactions. Yeah, yeah he basically, it's funny, kind of, it's kind of a, um, uh, what's his name? The CEO of Twitter. What is his name now? Dorsey. Um, it's kind of a Dorsian type of action. He's basically saying, take your money out of my centralized wallet or custodial wallet and put it in your own wallet that you control, non-custodial, so you get to do whatever you want with your money. Because the fact of the matter is, it's like, uh, it's funny to think of it, this actually kind of brings to bear more upon uh, the, what was it, the, the mayor of Miami and the mayor of New York who both said that they would take their salaries in Bitcoin. But the fact of the matter is, are those, are those salary monies going to a Coinbase wallet, or are they going to a custodial, a non-custodial wallet that they hold entire control over? And the thing that I'm getting at with this is, most people who get a salary wage from a you know institution within whatever country it is you work, that money typically, typically not always, typically goes to a bank, a centralized entity, which means. It's your money isn't controlled by you. It's, I mean, yes, you have access control over the account in that centralized bank, but you do not ultimately have control over it because your government can say if they want to, for whatever stupid reason, sorry, uh, we can now are freezing your account and you have access, no access to your money. Uh, if you are controlling your own wallet in your own possession and you know, even cold storage or hot storage, however you want to do it, then the only way they can get you to give that money to them is if they, you know, hold something over your head and say, do it or else, you know, as opposed to just freezing them, freezing your account and you have no say in it. In regards to this news article, I, I'm going to say that these guys are the heroes. Uh, we got Armstrong and, uh, and Powell. We got Kraken and Coinbase joining forces. Shout out uh, to try to help out the Canadian uh, Convoy protest going on right now. Um, but, yes, uh, I'm going to 
they're saying is not to keep out the coin. They are providing an on-ramp to convert your fiat to crypto. And what they're saying is, please, after you do that, remove your crypto that you purchased that is yours out of the centralized wallet. Because if government comes in and forces their hand, they have no choice but to shut down your account. Once you withdraw that off of that exchange and onto the non-custodial wallet, where you have... Make sure you save your 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 your, your master key, your seed key, your, your master key, right? Your cardboard seed. Save that and transfer your crypto on there. You're good to go. Ain't no one gonna mess with you. Well, I mean, they can still mess with you, but the fact of the matter is, they can't take your money just because they want to. Yeah. That's the thing that's so important, incredibly important here is, is that if whatever government just spontaneously decides, even illegitimately, to lock your account, you have no recourse. Your money's gone, you know, in, unless they release it to you again. But you, you, you don't, it's not putting the control in your hands. You're putting, you're, you're for the sake of convenience, which is the reason most people do it, putting the putting the control in someone else's hands. Because you're like, well, it, you know, in a stateless society, who, who cares? Agreed. In a stateless society, I, I completely agree. But when it comes to crypto being a new, a new thing and, and governments are still scared of it, <laughs> it's kind of ironic, don't you think? for the decentralized coin to be stored centrally. And I think that's exactly what these guys are saying. Yeah, but like, like so I'm gonna say that again. What they're providing is a very easy service for folks to unwrap and convert their fiat to crypto. And then after you do that, get it out of there. Yep, take it to your own wallet. And getting your own wallet, it can be on your phone, be on a laptop or desktop. It can even be cold storage. But the fact of the matter is you need to control it. And in this case, I don't feel like I'm giving financial advice because it's uh, I'll talk about it again later, but um, it's. I'm not telling any one person to do it. I'm telling everyone, hey, we think this is a good idea. You should totally do this kind of thing for your own benefit. You know, it's it. You're less likely to lose money. <laughs> Continuing on with the SEC. That's the Security and Exchange Commission in the U.S. The SEC might lose all merits. In the Ripple lawsuit, says former regulator. Let's see what this comes. Attorney Joseph Hall, who previously worked at the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, otherwise known as the SEC, claimed there is a pretty good chance that the SEC will lose all the merits in the lawsuit against Ripple, or XRP, which is typically in the top ten. It's John doesn't seem to understand why it's still in the top ten. <laughs> the American went further saying he does not quite understand why the watchdog decided to bring this case. The legal confrontation between the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and the blockchain company Ripple has been going on for more than a year. It all started in December 2020 when the financial regulator filed a lawsuit against the firm and two of its executives. The SEC claimed that it had traded $1.3 billion in XRP tokens as securities without proper registration of the assets. Ever since then, the battle between the two parties has been has seen several twists and turns. In August of 2021, Ripple defendants accused the SEC employees of having XRP holdings, while the commission scored a point by winning access to Ripple's missing internal Slack messages shortly after. The regulator claimed that those contain discussions about Ripple's desire to create speculative trading in XRP, end quote. 
Prior to that, the blockchain has uh, firm refused to hand over a substantial part of the communication, citing a process error as a reason. Processing error. Not. According to attorney Joseph Hall, through Ripple, uh, pardon me, though Ripple uh, seems to have the upper hand in the legal war, it's noting that earlier in his career, he spent two years on the commission serving as a managing executive for policy under Chairman William H. Donaldson. In a recent podcast with Tony Edward, Hall said that, it, that he is, quote, perplexed why the SEC decided to bring the case, end quote. In his view, the watchdog has a pretty good chance that they'll lose all merits in the lawsuit. It's worth noting that XRP community is firmly against all the accusations, despite a vast number uh, and their will to tilt the case in favor of Ripple. They won't have any sort of deciding role in what the judge determines, Hall opined. He also predicted that resolving the case is highly unlikely to happen before the end of 2022. Quote, I stand by what I said long ago. There won't likely be any serious settlement tasks on until the SEC must turn over the documents, end quote. In November last year, Brad Garlinghouse, uh, Ripple's CEO, claimed the legal lawsuit was going in favor of his firm. The executive outlined that the judge leading the case has been addressing, quote, good questions, end quote, as he, quote, realizes this is not just about Ripple, end quote, and the outcome of the legal battle will have a broader impact. Earlier this month, the SEC compared its lawsuit against Ripple with the one involving the blockchain organization Library, or LBRY. Uh, last year, the regulator, regulator alleged the company was selling unregistered securities, a move that could threaten Americans' ability to trade with popular cryptocurrencies. Library CEO Jeremy Kaufman argued that the tokens were not securities since there was no initial coin offering. Quote, Library received, uh, pardon, rejected a similar defense and at, plead, at the pleadings stage, even though that case, like Ripple's, did not involve an ICO and only contained allegations of unregistered offers and sales, end quote. Commenting on the matter recently was also Ripple's top attorney, Jeremy Hogan. And here is his tweet. Contrary to Library's actions, he believes that Ripple's fair notice defense will be strong enough to overcome the SEC's accusations. I almost forgot about this, so it's nice to have a refresher about about all this stuff that the SEC was doing last year. The SEC was acting like Oprah Winfrey last year, straight up was giving everybody lawsuits. You get a lawsuit, you get a lawsuit, everybody gets a lawsuit. The SEC had like was literally throwing down Thor's hammer, like everybody's gonna get it now. Like, relax, okay? Like, like, and the thing is, what was really upsetting about this is that the SEC was being a little beasy. Be, be, being very disrespectful to all these companies because they weren't advising these companies what to do to stay within the regulated regulator yeah regulator how do we regulate oh you don't know oh you're just you're just going to jump down our throats for no reason at all how are we supposed to defend that yeah you know it's like it's it, it really just seemed and somebody did comment about that it's that they said that it was just uh, Gestapo tactics trying to get these companies to just back down and, and, and toe the line. And it's like, okay, maybe that worked in the past, but. This article, when we talk about two companies, they hit yep. a lot of companies last year, man. Tons of them. Tons of them. Mm -hmm. Yep. It was just intimidation tactics, honestly. They're just like, 
We're gonna sue you, we're gonna sue you, we're gonna sue you. But then there's no merits, like this this attorney's saying. And that's the problem. It's just intimidation. It's just an attempt to get these companies to fall in line, not to have to fight. Can the government go to battle over this? Yes, they can. Will they probably use lose? Yes, they probably will. So it's kind of like, is it just an attempt to slow things down? Or is it literally just a, you know, step on toes and hope people back down? Well, it was really kind of a step on toes thing. It's just like, if we can just get them to stop doing what they're doing, maybe they'll stop. What are we doing wrong? Yeah. yeah, and then we're just like, uh, we, we don't know, you're out of bounds though. You're, 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 out of you're out of bounds. Stop doing what you're doing. It's like, uh, how do we stop doing what we're doing if we don't know what we're doing wrong? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Continuing on. That's so Warner Music Group Partners. Uh, active wallets, basically. Unique active wallets, I believe is what it is. Seeking to elevate the 
control of fandom and community. The executive stated that WMG is committed to positioning music as host front and center as the web for the ecosystem continues to evolve. Blockchain games are rapidly increasing in popularity and so are investments in the sector. In fact, CryptoCater earlier reported that the booming industry, GameFi, and blockchain-based online games have received more than $1 billion in funding in January alone. To put things into perspective, the niche witness investment worth $4 billion for the entire 2021. This was revealed that the latest edition of DAP Radar, which also stated that the category contributed 52% of the overall blockchain activity in 2022 so far. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a reiteration of what we said on uh, on Sunday. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's obvious that Warner Music Group is getting into this because it sees dollar signs. Even if it should be Bitcoin signs, um, but it's it's definitely saying, "Hey, we could get involved with that. That would be great. Yes, money. Mm, we love that stuff." It'd be nice if they were a music company and not a money company, but eh. Not everybody gets into the business to make music. Sometimes they may do it to get money. But uh, yeah, I I'm not saying I want. M- Dollar? No, it's not dollars. I'm not saying I don't want value in crypto. I just wish the concentration was more on the blockchain and its purposes, and not so much the value of the blockchain itself. Continuing on, Mintable recovers and returns to users three NFTs stolen in the OpenSea attack. Oh my gosh, they got their NFTs back! Oh. Save the NFTs. Oh, I'm so grateful. Those poor NFTs. I think this is going to be a a good proper revelation on how OpenSea truly works. Mm -hmm. All right. So David Marsonic writes, the company said it bought Azuki number 1178, number 4176, and number 1180 for about 13.35 Ethereum each and returned them to their previous owners. That is equivalent of about $36,000. Mentable representatives revealed how they came upon the listings in a recent statement. In particular, the team found the NFTs on the Looks Rare marketplace. They said the $10 billion marketplace has a reputation for selling stolen NFTs. Okay, that's great. Now I know where all of them, all the stolen ones are. <laughs> According to Mentable, they bought Azuka NFTs due to its ongoing promotional campaign. Specifically, the team intended to sell the NFTs below floor prices uh, to get exposure. Last week, a targeted phishing attack against OpenSea users resulted in $1.7 million in stolen NFTs. One of these was a bored ape, which prompted its owner to sue the marketplace for a million dollars. One million. You guys can't see me put my finger over my mouth like uh, Dr. Evil. <laughs> OpenSea, uh, OpenSea founder Devin Finzer uh, denied responsibility for the hack, indicating that it didn't result from a website issue. Quote, as far as we can tell, this is a phishing attack. We don't believe it's connected to the OpenSea website. Mintable founder and CEO Zach Burks called out OpenSea for not doing anything to help victims. He said that a bug on their site allowed hackers to steal NFTs. Here's a quote from him on Twitter, which I'll read. 
browsing for ideals, I look for on look on Mintable, OpenSea, Looks Rare, Rareable, and Gem. I found three Azukis on Looks Rare for 0.2 ETH below floor and started looking up looking up the NFTs. When I found they were blocked on OpenSea, I looked up their transactions and saw it was from the Fisher Wallet. I started looking on Twitter and found that no one has gotten any response for uh, OS uh, OpenSea on what they would do for this. Sadly, it looks like even though they have over a billion in cash on hand, they can't afford to refund $1.7 million to their users. Well, someone has to help these people. Burks highlighted the financial impact on hacking victims, calling it horrible. For some of these people, all their net worth is tied up in NFTs. It's horrible to have them stolen. I mean, whose fault is that, right? <laughs> we are like the Azuki community. Uh, we like the Azuki community, Burks added. We want to help give back to the people who lost $140,000 through the exploit. Back in January, a bug on OpenSea allowed hackers to steal $750,000 in ETH from the site as users were able to list items at drastically lower prices. Another issue call, uh, caused clients to lose about $100,000 in ENS NFTs to, burn, to a burn address. These bugs highlight the security risks in Web3 apps because the tech is so new. I think that's inaccurate to say. OpenSea is the largest NFT marketplace hosting majority of the 3.14 uh, $31.4 billion in NFTs. Moreover, the entity behind it has a valuation of $13.3 billion after its most recent funding round. So, um, what I mean by that when I say it's the fault of Web3, it's not. We have already discussed it before. The problem OpenSea has is that they run everything on a secondary chain because, as we well know by now, if, you, if you're new to this, <laughs> the cost of transfer of exchange of Ethereum-based NFTs is really high. And so to avoid that high cost that OpenSea doesn't want to have to bear the burden of on a regular basis, they just put it off-chain. And that was where the hacks came in most of, most of these cases. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Aside from ours, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Earlier today, I met the I think de facto isn't that the whole point is that you know board ape is the de facto it's the most popular most well-known if you can say that um, NFT type I would think they all right I agree they're very new and so maybe they don't qualify as blue chip because when you're talking about blue chip you're talking about things that have been around for seven plus years um, at least in the case of crypto so you're right. As far as age-wise, no, they're not blue chip. But as far as like being well, well known, and that's where blue chip I think comes from, is um, is that 
yeah, everybody knows these things. Like, I don't remember who it was. Somebody was... I watched a video recently. I can't remember who made it. Um, but, but, yeah. The, the thing that bugs me about uh, NFTs, and we talk about them favorably on a regular basis, is the negativity surrounding them and, and the kind of skepticism and hatred. Um, there, there seems to be an assumption that the only thing that crypto is useful for is drugs and NFT. NFTs, rather. And I was thinking, all right, that is a very gross overgeneralization of what crypto is useful for. Um, if you were basing your assumption on um, crypto in just the last couple of years, maybe. But, and, and of course, it does take a while for people to, to grow accustomed to the concept of using crypto on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. Is that the mis misassumption and the miscomprehension of crypto to say that it's it has this limited use in the NFTs and drugs, or I mean, regardless of whether. Um, uh, Silk Road was the first introduction to the concept of, of crypto that people had. Um, and just because the news medium, and I'm not talking about us as the news, we're just reading the news and talking about the news, one of those talking heads and news, but we're not like going out of our way to find the juicy dark news out there that's about death, destruction, and, and political um, uh, wherewithal. That's not what we're about. It's not at all what we're about. I'm not trying to stand on my platform here. Obviously, I do have a platform. But the point I'm trying to say is be, because general news, like um, what they call the news media in the U.S., the way they make their money is through shock value, or within reason. Um, <laughs> uh, they they tend to harp on the things that are bad. They tend to say, oh, look at this. That, that uh, dictatorship over there is using crypto that means crypto is bad because dictatorships use it you know what dictatorships like colombia used u.s dollars all day every day because the u.s dollar is the de facto world currency besides maybe the euro nobody complains about that so i guess because uh u.s dollar is used for you know um uh, crime on a regular basis it means it's bad in fact I would be willing to go so far as to say that more U.S. dollars in the history of the U.S. dollar have been used for crime than the total sum of all crypto. <laughs> Does that mean that U.S. dollars are bad? Does that mean that U.S. is bad? No. It, it, it's, it's this overgeneralization that people just assume that because it's new and different, they, know, they don't know how it works, it means it's bad. <laughs> okay. What you, what you don't understand, you fear. That's a common statement. It's a common belief. It's not true. It's common. But... It, it just it just bugs me when people are just like, oh, because crypto is used for illegal things, that means it's bad. That's not. It's just. Do you believe everything? Do you believe everything you read on the internet? If you do, I got a bridge I want to sell you. Oh. No, it's just, it's related. It's completely related to the, the concept. It's it's bringing it into perspective.
That's funny is, is every time when I get a little bit animated and start getting a little bit loud, the microphone goes red and cuts me off. <laughs> it's like, hey, hey, you're too loud. Too loud. Brazil. Uh, Brazil. Yeah. Brazil's crypto regulation bill has passed a crucial legislative stage in Senate, where it's now slated for voting. The development came on February 22nd, when the Senate's Economic Affairs Committee unanimously adopted the proposal. What's next? If the bill is passed by the Senate, it will move to the lower house, the Chamber of Deputies, where it will be discussed and voted upon. If it is passed by the lower house as well, it will be presented. Excuse me. It will be presented before President Jair Bolsonaro to sign it into law. Bolsonaro, yeah, Bolsonaro. In case that happens and President Bolsonaro makes it official, Brazil will become the largest Latin American country to allow cryptocurrencies to operate within its borders as per a set of regulations decided by its government. The regulations should ensure that investors' interests are protected by law. Misuse of cryptocurrencies through money laundering, terrorist financing, and other similar activities will also come under the legal net. Notice they say misuse of cryptocurrencies. Misuse. That's the thing. It's misuse. Inappropriate uses. always Brazil. It's good to see that other countries are going in. I I don't know how unstable Brazil's currency is, but any country, in my opinion, 
that is struggling with uh, high levels of volatility in their currency could benefit from a world currency that is, I would say, probably more based on the performance of Western countries to some degree, although China definitely has a huge part in it. Um, but basically, we already know that small countries have wildly fluctuative or their currencies do have a tendency to fluctuate wildly. I know was it Mexico and peso was, you know, it keeps inflating, inflating much, much, much faster than the U.S. dollar does. Um, but the same thing goes on in Brazil and definitely in El Salvador. And if you can stabilize your economy through through Bitcoin, why why not do it? Having a more stable coin, was it? I think I can't remember which country. I can't remember which country it was a while back. Was it the, the point where the inflation was so horrific that it was better to use the dollar, their their you know current their local currency, the paper currency, as firewood than it was to actually try to buy something with it. If your currency is that unstable, then yeah, Bitcoin's probably a good idea. No. I can't think of which one it is either. I just know that it's happened before, and it's happened more than once. Yeah. It's, it's not just recently. It's happened in multiple countries multiple times. It happened in Greece once. So um, it, it certainly can happen if you, you know, your country is relatively poor and or you depend on things like venezuela with the oil problems that they were having um, or if your country is you know corrupt it's entirely possible they could completely destroy the value of the money um but, i mean the whole point i mean i know i'm going to attend here but the whole point of money is it is a means of transaction it's it, it literally has a work purpose and we, we think about money as something we can hoard and keep to ourselves right but if you're not putting this tool to use, it's worthless. So, um, just having a lot of money doesn't make you better. It just means you're good at hoarding. So, anyways, sorry to rant, rant that one. Um, here's an interesting article about a, a hostage situation. Dimitar is on the rough rights. Armed man demands $226 million in crypto after taking a hostage in Apple Store. 27-year-old Amsterdam citizen. Wow, man, he must be really upset. <laughs> Armed with a pistol and an automatic rifle took one person hostage at an Apple Store near the city center. Interestingly, the man demanded $226 million in cryptocurrencies, not euros, weirdly enough, um, and safe passage out of the building to release the captive. According to a coverage by Dutch News, the criminal entered the Apple shop in Leedsiplin uh, Square at around 5.30 p.m. holding weapons in both his hands. At the time of the burst, there were 70 people in the store at gunman took at one as a hostage. The victim is thought to thought to be a 44-year-old British national who was a customer at the building. 27-year-old was pointing his gun at him while firing at least four shots into the air to intimidate all the other individuals. Shock of the attack was so extreme that four people remained hidden in a broom cupboard 
on the ground floor. They lived in terror for hours, the local people, the police said. Law enforcement agents were quick to react. Around 6 p.m., they were at the square. Once he saw the police had arrived, the criminal uh, initiated contact demanding 226 million, let's just say a quarter billion dollars in digital assets to release the hostage. Apart from the weapons, he was also wearing a jacket designed to look like a bomb. Interesting eyewitnesses revealed. Quote, he threatened a hostage with a gun and threatened to blow himself up. So we took it very seriously, a policeman spokesman said. At around 10.30 p.m., the gunman asked for water police officers delivered by a robot. Once he left the shop to pick it up, the hostage took off, uh, took the opportunity and ran off. The criminal started chasing him, but law enforcement agents quickly reacted, hitting the lawbreaker with a police car. <laughs> Knocked him to the ground. He was taken to the hospital in poor health condition. Despite being treated for serious injuries, the gunman was able to speak in the ambulance. The hostage and the rest of the people inside the store were unharmed after the accident, incident rather, and Amsterdam police Chief Frank Paw praised the courage of the British man, uh, the, the, pardon me, which the British man showed. Quote, the hostage played a heroic role by forcing a breakthrough. Otherwise, this couldn't have been a long night, end quote. Apple thanked Dutch police, sorry, that sounds like Dutch apple pie, sorry. Thanked Dutch police for their uh, exceptional work, adding that they are incredibly grateful that all customers and employees are safe after this terrifying experience. You know what's interesting is that in Amsterdam, it is a privilege and not a right to have a fire. So it's kind of one of those things that um, this man um, was given that privilege to purchase a fire. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that you probably have to go through a background check to make sure you clear through that, and then you have to apply to, get, to purchase a fire. Like you do for like, I, I, what I'm doing is doing a, like a comparison of what we do here in the United States, California, because I'm sure there's other states here in the United States that kind of wave on this, but here, in order to have concealed carry permits, you got to make sure, it's, it's more of a privilege, right? You, gotta, you, gotta, you can apply, but you're not guaranteed it. If you do get it, you got to go through the background check, you got to get fees for it, and then you got to have some type of training, and then you get your, uh, your quote-unquote Yep. Actually, the new thing here in California, um, a few years ago, if you want to go through that, I think you need to also pay a psychiatrist evaluation, which is like 100 150 bucks. <laughs> yep. Okay. You, you, that's part of the process. You need to sit down with somebody, and they, uh, the man or woman has to verify. They ask you the multiple questions. you got to take a 500 or 1,000-question um, test. And then determining what your outcome is from that particular questionnaire will determine whether you are uh, able to carry a firearm. Yeah. So you're basically saying that he must have had a pretty serious need to completely throw away his incredible privilege to have a weapon in Amsterdam. Exactly. I mean, obviously, he's asking for a quarter billion dollars in, in coin, but. <laughs> Is one of the happiest places 
don't know if Amsterdam is. I think you might think of Norway or Sweden, but um, okay. Amsterdam is, you know, not just right there next to, to north of France, right? Holland. Um, but uh, I, I don't know how happy to, I've heard people who I know I know people who live there, um, but I don't know if it's the happiest place. It's definitely one of the nice places. I'm sure British people are like it a lot or also that British man wouldn't have been there right <laughs> not that he's that far from home but um, yeah it, it's a very odd thing I, I would love to know this man's uh, modus operandi like why did he do this uh, they don't say that but it only just recently happened so hopefully they'll get some information out of him we'll be able to get another news article later and find out why the last article here is the Binance partners with SM with SM Brand Marketing to launch global pay-to-create NFT ecosystem. Written by Dimitar Zanzaro. The world's largest digital asset platform, Binance, teamed up with SM Entertainment and subsidiary company, SM Branding Marketing. The two parties will establish a global pay-to-create NFT ecosystem and set up a mutual equal fund. The cryptocurrency exchange has inked numerous deals with prominent entities over the last several months. Some examples include Indonesian and AI Ventures, Dubai World Trade Center Authority, and the Argentine Football Association. Today, February 23rd, Binance added SM Brand Marketing, SMBM, to that list. The latter is the subsidiary of South Korean company SM Thank you. 
cars like Big Bang, Blackpink, Winner, Icon, uh, AKMU, and Treasure. It's, it's neat. It's a neat concept. I never heard of play to create, but I can get the 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 changeover from the play to earn concept, where it's like, you know, you play this game like uh, what's it called? Um, not Starville Farm, Townstar. Townstar made by um, Gala is a play to earn structure, and this one they're just like, well, you don't just have to earn what we give you to earn. You can literally create your own stuff, play and create, and then make your own exit. I don't know if everybody, say the um, Internet Today guys that I watch their, their podcast on a regular basis, said that they don't like NFTs being thrown into their games because they don't want the game to feel like work. They want it to be a relaxation. I mean, not everybody relaxes when they play games, but some people do. And you want it to be a break from your work day. You don't want to have to do money-related things, unless that's the kind of games you like playing, um, I, I, when you're when having fun. Games, I am, I'm one of those guys that I like to just zombie by myself and just play, like, you know, smash this little button right here, just do nothing. Just I, yeah. That's my break. I just want to detach. It's not that it's... It doesn't have to be cool for you. I just want to break away and just do some, something lame. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. I, I understand. Yeah. I understand you, you want your own space. It's not part of work. You don't want to. I mean, yes, sometimes games are work, particularly platform games, but um, the you don't necessarily want it to be a job. You don't necessarily want it to be your income source. Some people do that. I mean, <laughs> truth be told, we would like this platform to be an income source at some point as well, but um, um, significant enough that we can do just this. It would be great, um, and, and that is often the case. Some people do like doing media as their job. Um, we're mostly in it because we just love crypto. I mean, we just happen to love talking about it too. But um, it's it doesn't if it's your relaxation space, you don't necessarily want it to be a job. And I think the play to create thing could also not have to be a job. And I think that's the reason it's kind of neat to me. It's a it's a it's a interesting ideal or interesting take on how to make a game both fun and profitable. I want to make one more point that's not really news related, but um, I did an unreleased video, which will probably not go up onto my main channel. Um, I have a secondary channel called Jabberi Life, and it's where I talk about things that aren't crypto related or finance related. But what I wanted to say was, it, it, although you can go watch that video once I put it up, um, the gist of it is that although we've been saying on a regular basis that, I mean, literally ever since we started adding our disclaimer in, that this is not financial advice. Um, I want to be clear about the extent of what that means. It is kind of a cover your butt policy, but it doesn't actually have any teeth in the United States in the sense of unless we were giving advice directly to a single individual who happened to be, we happen to be taking money directly from, at that point, we would be engaged in financial advice the way the U.S. government defines it. But the reason there can be such wild 
uh, claims of financial do this, do that, do the other on the internet, as there often is on YouTube and on TikTok, is because it's it's one to many. It's a very gross generalization of advice. And when you're doing gross generalization advice, there is no direct payment, or as they say, tete a tete, you know, one one for one um, transactional thing going on. We're not, you're not giving us money and we're giving you advice. None of that's happening. Um, and if there were a thing like that, then the disclaimer would be appropriate, but we're not. So, um, we may continue to say this is not financial advice, but the fact of the matter is we can't really be sued for it. And I'm not saying that somebody can't just try to, they certainly can't, but there would, it would be meritless. It would not be easy to prove and there would be no point to it. So the point I'm trying to make with all this is, uh, the covering, uh, you know, covering our six or covering our backside or covering whatever you want to say, covering our position by saying this is not financial advice is unnecessary, but we may continue to say it anyways, just as a reminder. So, um, I was feeling a little bit over, overzealous about it for a while. And I just want to make a point that it's only really in the U S that this is a problem, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter. So, um, we're going to continue to give advice that we find important and we wouldn't be giving advice on things that we don't think are good and that we ourselves don't do. We do the very things that we talk about on the show on a regular basis. So we don't really need. Yeah, right. Um, we don't, we're, we're not, we're giving advice because we ourselves do it, but no one's paying us directly for that advice. This is generic and going out to the entire general populace. Um, even people with way more followers than we have can say that, but are already protected by the fact that it doesn't actually mean what we think it means. So I just want to make that point at the end of this, this, uh, broadcast to, to say that we're not trying to mislead anyone at any point. And we're sorry if, if you get into something that we advise you to do and don't make money on it. But you didn't pay us, so it's not literally financial advice anyways. All right. Cool. Um, all right. Let's go ahead and wrap it up. That was a good way to wrap it up. Um, okay, go ahead. <laughs> all right. Now, just a last little bit that we appreciate if you've made it to this far in the show that you'd like our content. If you do, hit that like button. And if you don't, we're sorry that you were disappointed. But uh, you can subscribe and or hit the notification bell. We post every Wednesday and Sunday. You can check us on YouTube and on Anchor and anywhere you get your podcast information. Check us out on Discord. We have lots of stuff going on there on a regular basis. Quite a few active persons. Lots of, of um, social media activity going on, especially with what Cryptolissa and, and Mike are doing. We're on Patreon. And you can check us out there. And you can also support us through Bitcoin, Ethereum, Binance, Bat, or Raven. All these links and information is in the Cointree link in the description below. Alright. Satoshi Nakamoto, thank you for hanging out with us this evening. And for the Cryptonauts out there, um, shout out to SOS for giving us this awesome music intro and uh, outro. We got a bunch of good stuff going on. Um, and shout out to the Canadian Senior Office. Until next time, Kryptonauts, stack stats and hot ones.